The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, your CMO. Okay, question of the day. Who's calling your marketing shots today? Your MBA and highly credentialed CMO or your hyper-vocal, hyper-social, hyper-mobile customers? I have a pop quiz to help you answer the question. Okay, is your CMO A, listening and responding to social sentiment? B, is your CMO a champion of memorable experiences and durable connections with your legions of new, what I call, brand owners out there? And C, is your CMO using analytics to pull the signals and the deep, time-sensitive insights from your big and your small data? Okay, quiz over, pencils down. Now, before deciding whether to hug your CMO or post their job on LinkedIn right after the show, I'd like you to hear what our experts have to say. I have a great panel for you today, really smart people. They are CMOs, and they know what they're talking about. Joining us today for the first time on SAP Game Changers Radio is Jonathan Becker, the CMO at SAP, and he sent me the following quote. Not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. This, by the way, is popularly attributed to Albert Einstein, but rumor has it that William Bruce Cameron, the author of Informal Sociology in 1963, really said it. We'll be talking to Jonathan in just about two minutes and ask him what he meant by this. Joining the group today is Steve Carlotti, the Cambridge Group, a company owned by Nielsen, and Steve sent me the following quote. Listening and reacting is what is required today, and that's a lot harder than the plan planning and acting that was required yesterday. Hmm. And Alan Bondi, a regular guest here on the show from now from Digital Clarity Group, has sent me the following. In B2B, it's critical for CMOs to emphasize thought leadership and selling big ideas versus simply selling products. So join us for the next hour for the new CMO in the age of customer experience. This topic touches everybody, so I want you to be sure to listen. Welcome, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are coming to you live July 24th. It's Wednesday, 2013, and we're here on SAP Coffee Break with Game Changers on the Business Channel. Quick question for my Game Changer listeners. You know you have to do it, but how painful is it just thinking about harnessing your company's big data? Go to our show page on the Business Channel, click any banner, and go to a page with lots of free offers. But specifically today, look for a complimentary ebook on how to start eliminating the pain of big data. It's on us. And now it's time to meet my esteemed panelists. Jonathan Becker, 
Chief Marketing Officer, CMO of SAP, oversees the development and execution of marketing and communication strategy across the globe. He strives to drive improved business results, uncover new business opportunities, and guide strategic decisions that help SAP run better. You also might like to know Jonathan is an active participant in social media, of course he is, and the author of the very popular blog, Managing by Walking Around. Follow him on Twitter at Jay Becker, B-E-C-H-E-R. Jonathan Becker, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Where are you calling from? I'm actually happen to be in Palo Alto today, but normally it's on a plane someplace. Okay, well, we're glad we got you on the ground somewhere. Thank you, Jonathan. We have a lot to talk to you about. Joining us today on the panel is Steve Carlotti. Steve is CAEO of the Cambridge Group, a growth strategy consulting company owned by Nielsen. He's been published in BigThink.com, The Huffington Post, TheAtlantic.com, and the McKinsey Quarterly. Steve Carlotti, how are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. How are you? Wonderful. Where are you calling from? I am calling from scenic New Jersey. <laughs> uh, my, my engineer, Brad, was asking me if anybody's calling from outside the U.S., and I said, I don't think you need a passport to call from New Jersey, but I'm still not sure. I'm on Long Island, so you'll forgive me for that. We can talk to each other. Thank you, Steve, for calling in. And Alan Bundy is a partner and principal at and a principal analyst at Digital Clarity Group. He's also an advisor to the Pulse Network in Open Matters, and if his, that isn't enough, he's the chairman of hashtag IMS13. He has over 20 years as an enterprise software CMO and was named a top CMO on Twitter. Welcome back, Alan Bondi. How are you today? Good morning, Bonnie. I'm great. Where are you today? So I am outside of Boston. I'm fresh back from the beach, so I'm, I'm rested and a little more tan than I normally am. I'm glad to hear that, and thank goodness the weather's a little bit cooler and lightening up here on the East Coast. Thank goodness. So let's go back into our opening here and pull apart these quotes. Jonathan Becker, first up, CMO at SAP. Quote from Albert Einstein, we'll let that stand. Not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. Talk to me, Jonathan. What are we talking about in relation to the new CMO? Yeah, so, Bonnie, I basically think we as marketers, and certainly CMOs in particular, have been too obsessed with what I like to call egometrics, things like page views, number of downloads, even attendees to conferences or web seminars or, hey, maybe even talk radio shows. If you're just uh-huh. counting things, if you're just counting activities, you're really not tied to the business. I don't like egometrics that track activities. I focus the company more on impact metrics that impact the bottom line or the top line. Marketing is all about business results. Let's not track things for the sake of tracking them. So, Jonathan, how do you reculture people or recultivate people? Because we all know we've all done resumes for how many years we've all been in business or been employed by companies, and we're always saying, I was responsible for this, and I increased this, and I did this, and I did this number of whatever. And people are, are thinking in terms of activity. There's a, I think there's a leap of faith or a leap of education that goes from just what did you do to what was the impact and real results. How do you help people make that paradigm shift, Jonathan? Well, Bonnie, first of all, I should say that uh, in these days of social, I'm not sure anybody does a resume anymore. They, uh, they have a website or they put it on LinkedIn or something, but uh, I get your point nonetheless. And I think the answer is it is indeed a cultural change. This is all about education. It's the first step of any change is, which is understanding that working hard but working on the wrong thing shouldn't be rewarded. We should reward outcomes. And we've changed the way we actually reward people. We've changed the way we set up bonuses. We've changed the way that we set up people's personal MBOs. We've changed the way we actually write job descriptions so that the collective output is more important than just working hard on the wrong things. 
Very well put. Thank you, Jonathan. We have a lot more to speak to you about when we get into the roundtable. Thanks for kicking this off. Steve Carlotti, here's your quote. Listening and reacting is what is required today. That's a lot harder than the planning and acting that was required yesterday. Steve, talk to me. So I've been in uh, consulting for about 25 years, and my, my view of marketing when I started it was that the way we did marketing was we thought about the consumer, we studied the consumer, we figured out what they wanted, and then we tried to position our brand against that and explain what our brand did and why that was so wonderful. And that was challenging, but it was relative to where we are today easy, because where we are today is that the messaging that exists around any product or brand is actually shaped by the market, not shaped by us. And so the challenge for the CMO has gone from planning what message will resonate best to really thinking about how do you manage that flow of messaging that's happening around you? How do you participate in the conversation rather than being the only person talking? Interesting. I'm going to ask you a question about your quote. You say listening and reacting. My question, Steve, is when you say reacting, I know companies want to be as prepared as possible, as positioned, as poised as possible to respond to what I called in my intro these new brand owners, these legions and masses of customers and prospects who are talking about you. And basically the brand is in their hands. They can impact it in a moment's notice, in a tweet, in a Facebook post. OMG, they're out there and they're talking and they're loud. So when you say listen, Listening and reacting. Is there such a thing as being prepared so that it's not a knee-jerk gut reaction, but it's an educated, proper reaction? What do you think? I think there is such a thing as being prepared, but I also think there's such a thing as being over-prepared. So my sense Ah. of how this works best is that what you need is your brand ambassadors, who are both people who work for you and people who don't, to be prepared to react Uh, to what might be going on in the world. So I think a lot of times companies know what's coming and they Mm -hmm. can prepare for the types of responses that they might expect. I think other times they don't know what's coming. And I think what, what is uniquely good about the companies that manage this well is that they have brand ambassadors who really understand where the brand needs to be and how to sort of prod it back to the place it needs to be. So it's not as simple as saying, you know, if if, uh, if if you get feedback of black, your answer is white, or if you get feedback mm-hmm. of red, your answer is green, but you need to figure out how to nudge, and nudging is a lot harder than telling. Um, it's a bit of sort of conversational jujitsu, I guess, that people have to learn how to do, and I think it's a unique skill that, frankly, to your intro, Bonnie, I think a lot of us who've been around for a long time have a lot to learn about how to do that. Interesting. Thank you. Thanks for that admission. Yes, it is a learning process, and that's why you and Jonathan and Alan are here today to help us all learn. Speaking of whom, Alan Bondi, you're up. In B2B, it's critical for CMOs to emphasize thought leadership in selling big ideas versus simply selling products. What do we mean by this, Alan Bondi? So I think this is a great tie into what both Steve and Jonathan talked about is, you know, in a way we're not in control because of all the dynamics that you mentioned in your intro, you know, the new connected, social, mobile, fussy consumer. Mm -hmm. But also I still think that there's a balancing act that the CMO has to think about. It's sort of between sort of what to manage versus what to let the market manage. And if you think about ideas versus products, I think the notion is that ideas are more portable than thinking of the world in terms of campaigns. So I think it's it's a way to engage potentially at a higher level, but also to sort of meet the customer halfway. And I think that's the notion of the quote is 
if we think about what those ideas are and we attach them to interests and experiences and the passion of our customer base, in a way we're more of a partner with our customers than necessarily dictating a message or a campaign to the, to the customer base. I think that's what sort of is the root of that is if we think about ideas, they're just a lot more portable than a traditional campaign. Thank you, Alan. I have a question I want to ask you about in the beginning of your quote. You said in B2B. How does this apply to B2C? Let's talk about retail. They may have more active, more vocal, more spontaneous feedback from those masses at any moment of the day or night, anywhere in the world, depending on who they are and what they're selling. Is it the same idea for the CMO of a B2C company? You know, it, it, it's, it's funny because the distinctions between B2B and B2C are arguably already very blurry and getting blurrier. You know, the common threads would be, you know, how can we orchestrate an experience for that audience? How can we orchestrate the resources that would be helpful to that audience? So I think there's a lot of similarities, but I wanted to call out B2B specifically in that quote because, in a way, a lot of the social revolution has been starting on the B2C side. And to the point of the other speakers, I think especially B2B marketers are kind of having to play catch-up. So I wanted to call out that that potentially starts with thinking about ideas versus campaigns. Okay, thank you. And you know what? You've successfully taken us to our first break. You're listening to us live today on SAP Game Changers Radio. Our topic, the new CMO in the age of customer experience in all of its flavors and colors and styles. We're talking today to Jonathan Becker, CMO at SAP, Steve Carlotti at the Cambridge Group, and Alan Bondi at Digital Clarity Group. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, ready for our first break. When we come back, I'll be asking my esteemed panelists, What's in your cup today? We never know what they're going to answer. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are. We're back, and it's time for our segment called What's in Your Cup Today? Your best coffee, tea, water, juice, milk, soda, wine, whatever story. Jonathan Becker, CMO at SAP. What are you drinking today, Jonathan? Uh, Continuous curiosity. Ooh! Oh, that's I'm a sure good one. Listeners are going, what the heck is that? And that's not milk or soda or coffee or anything else. So what does he mean? And I'll give you a very literal translation. For those of you that uh, already looked me up on Twitter, 
last name Becker, B-E-C-H-E-R, is a German occupational name for the maker of wooden vessels, especially cups that you drink ceremonial things out of. And I think in some very real sense there, I am a cup. And I think the thing that dictates me the most is love to learn. Voracious reader, voracious writer, interested in almost everything. So if you ask me what's in me, that's curiosity. Now, I'm I guessing, love it. <laughs> I'm guessing, Bonnie, you wanted a more traditional answer. So if you no. want a more traditional answer, I've got a soda stream sparkling water thing on my desk as well. We can use that. But I, I'm going to go with insane curiosity. I love insane curiosity. I think that's great. We're always looking for a unique story, Jonathan. I think you have topped the storytelling on this segment, so thank you. That was wonderful and nice to know the origin of your name, so thank you for that bit of trivia. And I'm sure somebody will tweet that. By the way, Greg Chase has joined us on Twitter. Thank you, Greg, and SAPCRM again. Steve Carlotti, what are you drinking? Something traditional or you want to go with something, uh, a very interesting story like Jonathan? Up well, to you. Well, I certainly can't top Jonathan's story, but I'll tell you what I wish were in my cup. So so I had the opportunity back when I was in college to live in Italy for a while. And when I lived in Italy, I lived with a family, and the family, every morning you'd get up, and there'd be a pot of coffee that had been made the night before, and milk in a saucer, and you'd heat the milk and dump it in the coffee, and it was absolutely the best thing that I ever had in my cup. Nothing since then has ever compared. Beautiful. Thank you very much. And Alan Bondi, what are you drinking today? I can't remember what you're drinking last time you were on the show, but let's start fresh. What's in the cup? You know, this last morning? time I think I was drinking a Florida orange juice because we were talking from uh, from Sapphire. Um, yes. I'm just drinking plain old Earl Grey tea, even though it's a little bit warm outside of Boston. It seemed like a tea kind of a morning. Very interesting. Is it the kind of Earl Grey that has a little bit of lavender in it? I know I've gotten those very fancy Earl Grey tea bags that are so divine when you just just to get a whiff of them. Anything fancy or just good yeah, old no, fashioned this, this Earl Grey? High test traditional Earl Grey tea. None of that girly stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Always fun to play with you. Okay, let's get serious. We're talking about the new CMO in the age of customer experience. Jonathan, I want to talk to you about something you sent me before the show. I think this is a very interesting talking point to kick off our roundtable segment. You said marketing needs to become a champion for the customer experience across all channels. That's a big statement. I want to crochet it somewhere, Jonathan. Tell me what you mean by that, and then we'll go from there. Sure, Bonnie. So I think... Part of this is maybe completely obvious to everyone listening, and that is we live in a multi-channel. Increasingly, we're calling it an omni-channel world, and there are lots and lots of examples, particularly in retail, of customers we want to be able to physically touch an item in a store and then maybe browse on their mobile device and buy it later when they're back at home, and then if they don't like it, return it back at the store, and that's all great. And I think those stories have wandered around a lot, but that's not enough. If you say the essence of who you are is position is high-speed and digital, then what happens when people show up at your headquarters? Are they asked to fill out a sheet of paper to say who they're visiting? Not very digital, not very high speed. If you say that you're a social company, do you ask for physical resumes to be faxed into you, or do you check people's bios on Twitter? So I think who you are has to match what you say you are, and everything is a channel and interaction. And I think we forget that every touch point, because as you said at the beginning, the customer is control, and we as marketing don't own that experience, but we have to be a champion to make that unified. 
And, and going back to my comment to you at the beginning, Jonathan, about the, the culture change, sounds to me like this really needs to start at the top from very, very strong CMO leadership if you're going to change the company experience and how you treat, welcome, greet, and interact with your customers. It's a huge shift. How long does it take in a big company? SAP, we're talking over, what, 63, 65,000 employees right now, latest count. So how do you start that change from inside? It must take a long time. So um, to me, culture eats strategy for lunch or breakfast or whatever your favorite mm-hmm. meal of the day, I guess, is. So there is nothing other than culture. And the best way to do culture is to practice what you preach. I like to be the equivalent of a secret shopper. I actually check my own website and see what it's like when I ask a question. I call into my support number. I do all the things that my consumers do as well, and that helps me figure out whether the cultural change is happening or not. And in the answer to your specific question of how long, the answer is forever. These things never are done. we got to constantly think about what it means to walk a mile in a customer's shoes. And as soon as you think you're done, start again. I think we're starting a how-to with CMO 101, courtesy of Jonathan Becker at SAP. This is great. This is great, Jonathan. This is why we do live radio, because wonderful things come from my guests, and we're so delighted to have you if I haven't already told you that today. Now, Steve Carlotti, let's join you into this roundtable. You sent me the following, and I think this is very interesting. Uh, we'll have you comment on this, and, and then we'll go to Alan Bondi. You said customer feedback is rapidly becoming a broadcast medium rather than a narrow-cast medium. It's one-to-many now. Talk to me, Steve. What do we mean? So let me link it back to what Jonathan said, because from Please. my perspective, one of the things we have to think very hard about as, as marketing leaders or leaders of the customer experience is what happens when we don't get it right. Because as hard as we work, we'll always get it wrong sometimes. What I think is fascinating about what's happening right now is that the the old world was – if I had a bad experience, I called my Aunt Mabel and I said, oh, Aunt Mabel, you can't imagine what just happened to me. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I called somebody else and maybe Aunt Mabel called somebody else. And by the time you got done, maybe 10 or 15 people had heard about my bad experience. Today, if I have a bad experience, I go on Facebook or Twitter and a million or you know a billion people hear about That's my bad right. experience. Sure. Now, the flip side is there's more communication going on, so there's more noise, but there's a lot more broadcasting going on from the individual consumer. So the notion that says we can tolerate a certain amount of bad behavior in terms of customer experience because not that many people will hear about it, that's really old thinking that we've got to do away with because – we really are only as good as our worst experience because our worst experience is what's going to get broadcast. And at least from my sort of wanders around the social world, it seems that people are much more willing to talk about their negative experiences than to extol uh, brands and companies for their positive experiences. That's an interesting comment. I ask that to people casually in my, we'll say, my normal life, my everyday life. For example, I was looking at buying a particular car a couple years ago, and I went online and looked to see the comments, and they were scathing. They were horrible. They were disgusting. It was a Mustang. It was a gorgeous black Mustang convertible in mint condition, and after I read it, I didn't even want to know. I didn't even want to go near it. I didn't want to think about it. Completely wiped it off my thought, and I wondered, does anybody ever say anything nice about a Mustang? I don't know. I ended up with 
with another Z, but that's another story. Let's move this over to Alan Bondi, get you into the roundtable. Alan, let's talk about the future CMO. I want to I want to move to the specifics of your description of a CMO in the future. And you say, and I know Jonathan will agree with this and, and Steve as well, but let's start this. The future CMO needs to be a storyteller, which we're doing today, a brand architect, we've already covered, and even a data analyst. Tell me a little bit more about this, Alan. I mean, it's funny because it all starts with a story, in my opinion, whether that story is people's opinion of the Mustang or their experience in a storefront, and how we can describe and create stories that, you know, tap into your passion and even more so with social, how we can allow those stories to be shareable. I mean, I think the, the example that Steve just gave about, you know, how a bad experience can spread like wildfire, mm-hmm. I think if we can orchestrate these stories as our own brand ambassador and make them shareable, I think that's what I'm really getting at is the storytelling is in this new environment, and it really starts with a story. That said... How does that story manifest itself across all these channels that Jonathan talked about? How does it relate to our consumers? How do we tap into their passion, make it something that they want to share, and ideally make the story about them? If you flip it around, there's sort of that's the soft side of the CMO. I think the hard side, if you will, is the notion of the CMO as data analyst. And I know that the other panelists will certainly have opinions. I have mixed feelings about really whether the CMO can be a full-on data analyst. I just happened to start my career in analytics R&D, so I started as a data analyst and then became a CMO. And so I could play that role if I had to, but I'm not sure that I want to do it full-time. I want to have a team of people that essentially are savvy about working the data and coming up with the patterns. But what I definitely want as a CMO is just the elements of data, the dashboards, the insights, that small data that allows me to make smart decisions and sort of get the team on board. So I think that the the new CMO is both a scientist and an artist, so to speak, and at points in time they have to do one or the other, but increasingly they have to blend both of those soft and hard skill sets. Sounds like description of a Renaissance person. Jonathan or Steve, who wants to chime in? I want to hear what you think about what Alan said about the CMO specializing, part of their specialty being data analysts. Jonathan? Well, I'll dive in, yeah. So I think we live in an and world. That we, I mean, I sometimes use the phrase, you have to marry the art and science of marketing. It's not one or the other, it's both. We could use the analogy of uh, what happened to us in college or university. We had maybe a major and a minor. Perhaps we're stronger than one. Alan has an analytics background, as do I, but I'm certainly he has an appreciation for the softer side, as he called it. The thing that worries me is we've started counting data sound scientists on our payroll. And everyone brags about, I've got 10, I've got 20, I've got 30. That goes back to ego metrics. I don't think you should ghettoize data scientists. It's about all of us making big decisions from data, not about the data Mm -hmm. itself. So let's be careful about creating a bunch of new teams that all have the high wisdom. It's all of us that need it, not just them. I could add I think that's a great great point. And and the thing I would add is I, I think one of the challenges for all of us today is that we're awash in data. Uh, I, I sometimes talk about it as, you know, 50 years ago, the problem was we didn't have enough facts to look at. Now we don't have enough time to look at the facts we have. And, and I think one of the most important things that the CMO can do in his or her role as data analyst is actually get the organization focused on which of the data matters when and which of the data doesn't matter. Because I think organizations presented with 
basically infinite amounts of data have the ability to do to spend infinite amounts of time doing virtually nothing. Okay, good point. And I want to say something to our listeners who are listening to us live today. It's July 24th. We've got a very active tweet stream going here. I know that's one of Jonathan's interests and passions. We've been joined not only by SAP CRM and Malcolm Kimberlin, we now have SAP Cloud for Social tweeting for us at hashtag SAP Radio. And we have the lovely Margot Heiligman, who is a fan of the show long time. She's from SAP as well. So if you want to join the tweet stream, we're talking about the new CMO in the age of customer experience. Uh, we have two more minutes left to this segment. Alan Bondi, I want to ask you something that came up at one of your last talking points. For anybody who's been living under a rock or quietly minding their own business, can you please level set for us and differentiate between big data and small data? Oh, boy, in only two minutes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's a pop quiz for you, kid. So, so I'm going to defer back to or refer to Steve's comment about sort of getting to the essence of what matters. And to me, that's the distinction is we're awash in this amazing amount of data. Big data is a wonderful thing. It allows us to see patterns. It allows us to create insights and predictions. So to me, small data is that last mile of big data that allows marketers, their teams, financial people, people who are not the data scientists, to basically get access to just the right insights in a simple way, in a contextual way, in a way that they can share with their colleagues. So it's sort of tying into the notion of democratization of analytics and big data and delivering just the piece of information that you need. That, to me, is the essence of small data versus big data. Jonathan Becker, what do you think? Agree, disagree? Plus one, to use a social term. <laughs> Plus one. Steve Carlotti? Plus two. All right. Well, add me to plus three. That's a good one. I'm hoping somebody will tweet. We got a plus three or maybe a plus four. We're just about ready to take our middle of the show break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. I still don't know why I say it that way. It just sounds like fun to me. When we come back, we'll be talking more to Jonathan Becker, CMO at SAP, Steve Carlotti of the Cambridge Group, and Alan Bondi at Digital Clarity Group. And we're going to kick off the next part of the roundtable asking Jonathan the role of the CEO in terms of what do you do in your own organization? Do you counsel? Do you directly manage? Can you be everywhere? Do the CMO have any more than the same 24-7-365 that the rest of us mere mortals have? We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. I'm Bonnie. I still will be when we come back. Brad out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram 
at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. I can tell you personally and directly that I have evidence, hard evidence right now on our tweet stream at hashtag SAP Radio that today's CMO and the future CMO is multitasking to the nth degree because Jonathan Becker, one of our guests on the panel today, just tweeted the following. If you're bragging about the number of data scientists you have on your marketing payroll, you're missing the point. And the hashtag he used is egometric. So there. Jonathan, now that I brought you up front and center, let's talk about your remark to me before the show. Offer counsel Rather than direct management, marketing cannot own all the customer experience channels, but it can help make the experience consistent. What are we talking about, Jonathan? So, Bonnie, earlier in the show, I made the point about we all know that the web experience and the in-store experience have to be synchronized. And I gave the example of what happens when a visitor shows up at your front door for your office or some building. All those are experiences, and we as marketing aren't going to own all those, but we can influence them. So the mindset... I think the modern marketer has to have is that you are an integrator, maybe even a force multiplier across the company. We all know that large organizations are designed around silos. Those silos could be by geography, by product, by some kind of function. And I think we as marketing, more so than any other function in the company, have to rise across those divisions, including any divisions you might have in the marketing organization, those dreaded adjectives before the word marketing, and think holistically about the company's overall value proposition and whether that's reflected in the experience or not. And if what you say you want to be doesn't match every single interaction with every single consumer, then Mm -hmm. that's a busted promise and that's a reason for a customer to go someplace else. Wow, that's tough words. Those are those are fighting words. So let's bring Steve Carlotti into this. Steve, you had a similar similar topic, I think, here. Let me read something from you and see if this jibes with what Jonathan just said. You say steering a conversation is a lot harder than controlling it. You, meaning the new CMO, need great listening skills and the ability to participate in multiple conversations simultaneously and with one voice, and that goes back to the consistency Jonathan was talking about. Very different than determining the direction and communicating outward. What's the difference inward outward, Steve? Let me let me come back to what Jonathan started with. I, I think there's there's one point I'd make just about the value of influence versus control uh, within the company, which is there are infinitely many decisions, or probably let's say tens of thousands of decisions inside the company that influence the customer experience. There's absolutely no way as a CMO or even as the marketing team that you're going to know about all those decisions, much less be in a position to change them. And so what your job really has to be is making sure that those other parts of the company understand the value proposition you're trying to deliver and can translate that into what they do every day. And so sometimes it's as simple as saying, we need a Rosetta Stone, if you will, that says, right, so if this is what we stand for as an enterprise, how does that translate into how the supply chain works? And we need to go through every single part of the company and do that because that's the only way that we can increase our confidence that those decisions are going to get made the right way on a consistent basis as opposed to, you know, if Jonathan calls into his customer service center and they don't do it right, he can correct Mm -hmm. it. But by that time, several customers have already experienced it. So it's all about getting those other parts of the organization to make decisions in a way that's consistent with the desired customer experience 
of their own volition rather than because you know what they're doing and you can advise them on every choice that they're going to make. Perfectly said. And I want to bring Alan Bondi into this. Alan, I'm going to read a quote from you. You say, as customers call the shots, brands that orchestrate experiences that create an attraction, build connections, add a dimension of discovery across all forms of media are likely to stand out. And I know you're writing a paper with the former head of creative at Starbucks. Tell us what, how you feel about this orchestrating experience and the consistency aspect, and how far can the reach of the CMO go in just 24-7 every day? So I'm also going to jump on the comments that Steve and Jonathan just made in Please. terms of CMO as not only an integrator and an educator, but I think the notion of orchestrating those experiences, not only for the customer, but orchestrating your teams inside the company, orchestrating even sort of the coalition between the, the CFO and the CIO. I'm a, I'm a big believer in you know, things like playbooks, for example, to get people on the same page. I love the idea of the Rosetta Stone metaphor that Steve talked about. I think that's potentially the most important role is to provide those tools and provide the playbooks and to provide the almost the glossary so that people understand the connections that's you know incredibly important in terms of sort of getting the organization ready to do this and then i think we're we're in a much better place in terms of orchestrating these external experiences it's it's funny we've we've been thinking a lot of digital clarity about the notion of a maturity model for customer experience management and what we quickly determine is that there's the external side which is really the essence of my quote in terms of how do we engage and build these connections and add an element of discovery, which I think is a really important dynamic when we talk about especially things like retail, the notion of providing serendipity to customers where they find a deal or they find something very interesting that they weren't expecting. But equally important is the internal aspect. So maybe on the outside of your business, you think about the content and the campaigns and the way you deliver those experiences and the way you measure them for sure. But inside the organization, going back to the DCG maturity model, there's incredible elements like culture in the data and the playbooks as well. So I think the, the CMO also has a unique role of orchestrating kind of the external meets the internal. And as the gentleman on the panel has said, that's you know, how you prepare internally is as important as you prepare externally. Jonathan Becker, what do you think about what Alan just said? So I like his emphasis on preparing internally because mm -hmm. in the end of the day, and uh, I think we said earlier in the show, the distinction between B2B and B2C is rapidly devolving anyway. Internal yes. is also your external audience. Your own employees are consumers. They interact with your brand, uh, maybe even purchase your products depending on what you do. And so mm -hmm. the hard decision doesn't exist anymore. In fact, I know quite a few retailers that now intentionally before they launch a new line, open it up to their own employees and see what their employees choose, which shirts, which sizes, which colors, which shapes, and use that as a kind of test market. So I think if you're not treating your internal audience as real-time feedback, you're also missing an opportunity. Very interesting. Steve Carlotti, what do you think? Uh, all I would add is I think it puts enormous pressure on the CMO and the marketing team to learn the language of the rest of the organization. A lot of times I think the marketing team is trying to get the rest of the organization to use its language. And I think if you follow this line that we've been talking about, what you conclude is that the marketing team has to be multilingual, 
much more so than any other part of the organization. And that, to me, when you think about the challenge of building a great marketing organization is one of your biggest challenges, which is the sort of pure functional marketer who's never done anything but marketing Mm -hmm. is often not your most multilingual representative of your brand. And the only other thing, just to make one other point that I'd add uh, to Jonathan's point about your internal customers, they're also your frontline brand communicators. The one thing I know is that if I say I work for Nielsen, someone is going to ask me a question about either what Nielsen's doing, why they're doing it, why they're good, why they're bad. And the quality of my answer influences the dialogue for good or for ill. And the same is true of every single person, you know, every one of the 37,000 people who work for Nielsen are in exactly the same position. So let me exactly. jump on this. This is Jonathan yeah. and say, Please. I agree that your employees are your brand ambassadors and either detract or add to the brand bank every day with the interactions. But the next logical conclusion, a mistake I made earlier in my career and I counsel others not to make, is then essentially assume that all of them should be social. They should all have blogs. They should also be right. on Facebook. They should all be on Twitter. Ah. Just because they are brand ambassadors doesn't mean they should be social brand ambassadors. Works well for some people and not for others. It's not the same thing. Totally agree. There. I've got great counsel from from the Nielsen CMO on exactly that same topic. So, Jonathan, yeah. how, that's a, a great point. So what kind of, I'll use the, the word tentacles, what kind of tentacles should, should the CMO have to say, hey, everybody, we love that you work for us. We love that you're helping us with our bottom line. We're thrilled that you're supporting our brand and building trust out there and social. But for God's sake, shut those blogs down. You don't know what you're talking about. Is that a conversation a CMO would ever have with a company, let's say, with more than 1,000 employees? Oh, sure. I mean, probably not so harsh as that, but in that okay. sense. <laughs> it's radio. We have to be dramatic. Go yeah, ahead. no problem. I, I, people come to me and my team all the time and say, I want a blog. And my overly simplistic response, of course, we have a much more considered response, is happy to help you blog. Here's my advice. Go write 10 blog posts. And when you're done with the 10th one, then you can post your first one. And then you can post your second one the week after that, et cetera. And at the end of 10 weeks, maybe by then you've created your 11th. I would say 99.9% of the people can't write 10 blog posts and realize that blogging is not for them. So Very the interesting. Before you post the first one. Well, Alan Bondi, oh, go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, to that point, the, the, the time investment in being effective in social media is extraordinary. And I think that's what people who are not maybe as socially uh, adept as Jonathan is, and I would put myself in that camp, don't realize, is it's not as simple as saying, hey, I'll throw up a blog or I'll jump on Twitter. It really does require time and attention and, and effort. And, and I think, to Jonathan's point, there are a lot of people who are just not willing to, to make that type of a commitment. Or they don't realize that it will take that kind of commitment. Alan Correct. Bondi, have to get your voice in here. What do you think? So I think this is this is incredibly relevant to the initial part of the conversation of really thinking about the different types of customers that we're serving. And just like, you know, my mom might be very comfortable, you know, doing things sort of old school and interacting primarily on the phone and with email, and our teenagers, you know, want to buy products and, you know, in Instagram or Snapchat, I think... Our employees are, and it's a really important point that not everybody is equally comfortable on every channel. And it brings up sort of a general question I'd love to pose to the rest of the panel is, yes. you know, as marketers, as, as executives, do we desire that our teams all become sort of generalists and experts across all channels, or is it better to have a team of sort of specialists? It sort of, it sort of makes me think about the ideal mix of specialists versus generalists 
both in terms of interacting on channels or in terms of the roles that we want on our teams. What's better, or is, or is it a mix of both? We're talking about the direct CMOs team, Alan? Yeah, or, or, or the marketing organization overall. Okay, I'm going to give each panelist, I'm going to give Jonathan and Steve, oh, about 30 seconds each, then we're going to go to our break, and then when we come back, we'll do our crystal ball, and you can include the rest of your answer in your prediction. So, Jonathan, what do you think to Alan's question? And world again, mix of generalists and specialists. Most marketing departments I'm familiar with have oversteered towards specialists and probably need more generalists, more people with what I call a general manager mindset. Interesting. Steve Carlotta, your thoughts? Uh, I agree with what Jonathan said, but I think there's another dimension to the conversation, which is it's not just generalist and specialist within marketing, and I also agree we've over-corrected towards specialization, but I think it's generalist and specialist within business and how the business works. Okay, that takes us up to our final break. You're listening to my esteemed panelists. Uh, we have today Jonathan Becker, CMO at SAP, Steve Carlotti, the Cambridge Group, Alan Bondi, Digital Clarity Group. Our conversation today is around the new CMO in the age of customer experience. When we come back, you know what it's time for. It's time for the crystal ball. I'm going to ask Jonathan and Steve and Alan to look ahead five years to 2018 and tell me who will that CMO be from now to then? Will they be not new any longer? Will they be tired and need a new overhaul? or on their, are they on their way to evolving to something fantastic by 2018? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. Don't even think of going away. The best is yet to come. Brad out. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for our Crystal Ball segment. I'm going to ask my three esteemed panelists to please look ahead, polish it off, get out the chamois, Jonathan, or the dust cloth, or the rag, whatever you use, the banky. Polish off that Crystal Ball. You're going to kick us off, and we're going to talk about who will the successful new CMO be by 2018. So, Jonathan Becker, let's get started, please. Gee, Bonnie, I don't think I knew any of those colloquials <laughs> used for predicting the future, so I'll have to go dust up and figure it out later. Okay. <laughs> Despite the fact that uh, some years ago I ran a predictive analytics company, I think there's always a little bit in danger of trying to predict the future too much. And if there's one thing I've learned over the last decade or more in around predictions is that the future, to borrow a phrase that gets used a lot, the future is already here. 
is mm-hmm. just unevenly distributed. So what the CMO will look like in five years, we can see echoes and pictures of it already. I think in the end of the, the world, the CMO doesn't change. I think what our job is and what marketing's job hasn't fundamentally changed in the last 10 years. I'm being controversially intentionally and will yes. not fundamentally change. We are, as our name implies, the voice of the market, not the voice of the product, not the voice of the customer, not the voice employees, all those things, but the market is somehow something bigger and different than that. And I think if we use that as our North Star or whatever other visual and say Mm -hmm. what we need to do is to guide the company into the future, we need to be that guidepost of trends, what works, doesn't work, and help the company elevate from the, as one of my guys often say, the tyranny to the urgent, to things that are actually critical and important, I don't think that will fundamentally change. And so if there's one thing that we as marketers have to probably do is become more elastic. The discipline of marketing will fundamentally change. There will be some new technology, some new trend that will interrupt us every month, every year, every quarter. And if we always stick to doing things exactly the way we've done it, we won't be successful. And so my watchword of the world of the week is what got us here won't get us where we need to go. Interesting. So I hear you saying we're looking at outside in rather than inside out. And Jonathan, if you had, thank you. And if you had, I appreciate that. If you had to put together for me a a not so scientific DNA of the future CMO, the one who perhaps might inherit the mantle from someone like you or some of your colleagues, Jonathan, who would that person be? Are they being groomed right now? What educational institution are they in? What type of company are they in? Let's go with B to B. Let's stick there where we started. So Isn't who would the that answer then, per- Bonnie, you or Steve or Alan? I mean, does, isn't that we're all here on the show together? <laughs> Well, gee, I sure sure hope not. I just want to be doing more radio, and that's a message to you, Jonathan. <laughs> okay, I will, so we will leave. Simplify the answer is, and Please. this goes back to my and question. I think the CMO of the future, whether it's here at SAP or any place else, mm-hmm. has deep expertise in some discipline, whether that's analytics, like Alan does it, whether it's creative, whether it's demand, whatever it is. In one of the multidisciplines of marketing, they are acknowledged experts, but has a broad swath of experience and background and has touched them all and understands them all. And in fact, I encourage people to change what you do every few years and have a different view of the business. I think what's happening next is the marketers are becoming general managers and therefore you need a general background. Okay, very, very well put. Thank you. And one quick question before we move to Steve Carlotti. Jonathan, will the CMO ever have an opportunity to sleep, or are you working 24-7? Is that, is that clock been reset 26-9? I don't know. Do, do you ever rest? Do you ever sleep? In other words, your job, you're never on off. You're always switched on. Is that fair, accurate? Fair enough, but I, don't, I do love my sleep. I think the answer is uh, thinking about work-life integration as opposed to work-life balance, but that's probably a time for another show. That is another show. We've talked about that on previous shows and very well put to you. So thank you, Jonathan Becker. Steve Carlotti, let's talk about what you see in the crystal ball, whatever you use to polish it. What do you see the CMO looking like, acting like, feeling like, sleeping like in 2018? Steve Carlotti. So, Bonnie, I only had a magic eight ball, and I polished it, and it said, it depends. So I'm going to give you two answers. I actually think there are two models we'll wind up with. One I'll call the CMO who's really a chief communications officer. And I'm not sure that that's the model we should aspire to, but I think that is a model that we'll see. Uh, Where the CMO 
is largely speaking relegated to the management of communication flow to and from customers. And I think that is a role that that many CMOs will probably fulfill uh, five years from now. I don't think it's the aspirational role, but I think it's a real role. The more aspirational role, to uh, to build off Jonathan's point, I think what we have to think about uh, in my old career, I was at McKinsey for a while, and, and we always mm-hmm. talked about the T-shaped consultant, right, which was broad but expert at something. And I think that's okay. exactly the model we need for the CMO of 2018. But I would argue that the breadth needs to be not just breadth in all of the dash marketing disciplines or analytic marketing versus brand marketing or however you want to think about it, but it actually requires expertise across the entire business and the entire business system. And so my belief is that the CMO of today is someone who will have experience across a range of functions and probably a range of businesses within what we would traditionally define as B2B and B2C. That that what will be the more challenging path is a path that is all within functional marketing and all within a single company or a single industry. Thank you, Steve. And I mentioned in my intro, I hope I didn't offend anybody, I said you're MBA'd and credentialed CMO. So my question to you, Steve Carlotti, is are the MBA programs of today properly training the future CMO, or do those need to change from the core graduate education level? Any thoughts on that? So, Bonnie, I don't have an MBA. I I have a a different kind of graduate degree. So I've always wondered about how well the MBA trains uh, even the CMO of today. But my quick answer to your question is, I believe that the CMO of tomorrow will be trained based on professional experience more than educational experience. Thank Steve, you. Exactly way, where I'm going. Yes, go I'm ahead, Jonathan. Jonathan? Yeah. Jonathan doesn't have an MBA either, so that makes two of us. <laughs> I'm going to have to rewrite the damn intro to the show. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I thought of other words, but MBA popped up. What can I tell you? I just write this stuff. Okay, Alan Bondi, I know you're dying to chime in here on the crystal ball. We've got three minutes left. I'm going to give you oh, almost two minutes of those. So go ahead, Alan, from so, Digital so I have Clarity. To add, add to the list is, uh, like Steve, I was at McKinsey, and like both other gentlemen, I do not have an MBA either. I have a master's in engineering. So maybe we're defining the new CMO as yes. a creative technologist, perhaps. That's sort of the first thought that came to mind is somebody who you know, is, in fact, a generalist across the whole range of marketing disciplines, but perhaps that deep expertise is rooted in technology. And why not? I mean, our consumers are incredibly technically savvy. Shouldn't we as marketers in fact, you know, sort of match them technology for technology. So that's sort of my short answer. My longer answer is I think in five years the CMO, you know, potentially could be running a lot more than marketing, could be running sales, for example, if in fact all these channels that we're empowering and we're listening to are where increasingly the sales are going to come from. Maybe the new CMO is also the head of sales. And then let's Mm -hmm. extend that even one step further is if in fact the areas of expertise in this generalist role span the entire business. Maybe in five years, the, the CMO is the CEO. I'd love to hear what the other gentlemen think about that. Okay, we can take a quick uh, 30 seconds each. Jonathan, thoughts? Um, I think my boss does a great job, so I don't want his job. But, uh, <laughs> I, have actually okay. have been a, I actually have been a CEO before in a previous life. Okay, Steve Carlotti. I would think that the best CMO would serve as the prime minister to the CEO. 
Ooh, Ooh there's a new like title. That. There's something to crochet on the wall or put on the business card. I have to quick. I have one minute to go, but I have some. Who was it who said that his mother is still calling people on the phone rather than doing social? Who was that? Oh, that would be me. Steve? That's nope. Alan. Alan. Okay, Alan, I have to ask how old your mother is. Uh, she's uh, 70s. Okay, I got to tell you, my mother is mid-90s, she owns two computers, she's on email every day, does her own research on the computer, and can actually print her boarding passes when she goes to Florida to be a snowbird. So there, so we are changing that culture, trust me, my family is out there doing it. Okay, kids, it's time for Bonnie's predictions, and mine are easy because they're written down. July 31st here on Coffee Break, we talk about the corporate evolution, new business models for how companies go to market once they've made an investment in analytics technology. August 7th, can it already be August so soon? The digital insurer opportunities in the insurance industry with customer centricity and coming up on August 14th, board diversity, very important topic. The pros and cons of diversity and what the heck does it mean for your company? Okay, I have special thank yous to Jonathan Becker. Pleasure, privilege, delight to welcome you to the show. I hope you'll come back. Steve Carlotti, pleasure to meet you. And Alan, you're always welcome. And shout outs to Lori Hawkins, thanks for proposing this topic. Madura Agarwal, thanks for your help as well. For Bernard Chung, Krista Rui, all the best. You were wonderful and getting Jonathan to us in one piece, and we thank you for the scheduling. Marcy Schinder at Nielsen, thanks for introducing us to Steve Carlotti. Malcolm Kimberlin, as always, and thank you to everybody who's been tweeting. What a great tweet stream. And Brad Ryan and the Business Channel team, love you all. And here's Bonnie's call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Talk to you next week here on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again.